You're listening to My Therapist Thinks, a modern mental health podcast. We're your hosts, Andrea Bozia and Mary Beth Samich. We are licensed therapists with a passion for making therapy accessible, relatable, and relevant to your life. Let's get started. Today, we're talking about socially acceptable things people do to avoid feeling. And there are a lot of them that we will get into, but first I think we should start with two interrelated aspects that might contribute to the avoidance of difficult emotions. So the first piece we're going to discuss is cultural stigma, and then we'll transition into talking about family dynamics. Yes. So culture plays a huge role in the ways that we display emotions and what's considered acceptable emotionally. And so we basically operate by these cultural scripts that really dictate how we should, should in air quotes, experience and regulate our emotions. And that ultimately influences our behavior. So you really can't take culture out of the equation. Yeah. So for example, men in the U.S. might be ostracized for crying. So of course, men have the right to express their emotions just as women do, but this, there's going to be a social consequence for that in this cultural context because of the constructed idea we have around masculinity. So I have a perfect example of this where I was working with a male client and um, he was expressing you know, some difficulties in his marriage and some obstacles that the couple was facing together and that he was having a really, really difficult time with everything that was going on for them, but that he wanted to be strong for his wife and that he felt like he couldn't share how scared and vulnerable he felt because he felt like his wife would kind of look at him differently, like see him as weak and he needed to be this strong figure for her. And that was a really powerful to hear from this male client because it really highlighted that, you know, he's going through all these things personally, but he also is trying to project this sort of image of everything will be okay by not sharing that he's scared. Mm -hmm. So much pressure. I mean, men are a thousand percent entitled to feel scared and sad and worried about things just as women are. And another idea I think of when it comes to this is how many posts do we see of people on Instagram crying or expressing pain? Really not many. So with these examples of your client and just in social media and culturally, you can really see how emotion regulation is prescribed by the culture you live in or maybe the culture you're raised in. Exactly. And I think emotional regulation is a very important skill to cultivate and then practice. But being able to emotionally regulate does not mean that you don't express your emotions. And I think there's like a common misconception within that where um, we think, oh, this person is really good at regulating their emotions. Like I never see them cry. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean they're regulating their emotions in a healthy way. It could just mean that they're suppressing them mm-hmm. or that they feel like they're not welcome to express them in this particular moment. So they end up channeling them in a negative way later on, you know? Yeah. I'm so glad you pointed that out because you're right. Regulating doesn't mean eliminating or not having. It means you are fully embracing them and then actually 
taking some of that power back in the way that you regulate. So there's a big distinction there. And also, I kind of want to clarify that we're talking about overarching U.S. culture here in our examples, because as a podcast, we're based in the U.S., but then you really have to stop and think about there are so many subcultures that may carry even greater stigma around mental health. And I do run into that in my work sometimes and just not allowing the processing of difficult emotions in ways that are very healthy or not advocating for things like therapy and emotional expression in those cultures. Definitely. I think cultural stigma exists around mental health and confronting our pain points. Yeah. There's this idea that those who seek help have failed in some way, or maybe they're weak or that something terrible has to happen to actually seek help or, you know, or it's not that bad. Um, The common thought and idea of, oh, it's not a big deal. I can handle it. I'll get over it. I think it's really indicative of an individualist mentality, and that is totally culturally based and really detrimental to our mental health. Definitely. And I love that you mentioned this piece of like, oh, it's it's not a big deal or I can handle it. Like requesting or, or seeking support means that you can't handle it in some way. Like I don't know how those two things became linked. Right. Um, No, it just means that you have cultivated enough wisdom to understand that you're in a place where you would benefit from some support. Mm -hmm. So that's a resource. It's not saying that you're weak. It's just saying that, oh, you have the insight to know that it would be helpful to receive at this moment as opposed to just giving. Yes. So I think that's the culture piece here. And then on top of that, you have the subculture of your individual family and the entire dynamic. And family dynamics play a large role. And if you grew up in a family that didn't teach you to listen to or manage or use your feelings, or sometimes even if you didn't, you'll likely relate to some of the methods that we're going to discuss today. Yeah. I mean, I have a personal reflection with this one of how my my family dynamics really influenced how I understood my emotions and how it wasn't until I was an adult and really spending time reflecting on how I process and engage with my emotional responses that I realized that I had some <laughs> work to do with this. Sure. So for us, and again, I come from very interesting and dynamic family dynamic relationship. And we experienced significant trauma um, coming from a war torn country. And we really function from the survivor mentality. Mm-hmm. And that's the idea of like, you keep going, you keep moving, don't stop for too long. Right. And this is physically, but also very emotionally and psychologically. So if something were to happen, that would be difficult we didn't really acknowledge it. Like we didn't take the time to be like, wow, this was hard or like, wow, that was really painful. Uh, It was more like, huh, that happened. Uh, What's next? (laughs) Yeah. So that was, and, and, you know, I thought that was really, really normal. And it, for us, that's what we needed to survive in the moment. And it makes a lot of sense. But then I transitioned into an environment that was safer and healthier. And I, wasn't really spending time acknowledging when something hurtful happened to me and processed it, but instead just kind of kept going until some of those things like built up. Yeah. What does that look like for you now that you've been able to reflect on this? Like when something really, you're confronted with something really challenging and upsetting, what does your process look like now? 
Great question. So uh, I, th- I think it's a journey. I'm definitely, definitely still working on it. But now I have more awareness around how my initial reaction may be to just keep moving forward and maybe not a lot enough time to the specific event that occurred. Mm-hmm. So because of that awareness, now I can make a healthier choice in the moment to kind of pause and spend some time with some of those harder feelings so that they have time to process through my body and resolve as opposed to kind of getting stuck and then maybe creating some chronic back pain or anxiety or just general discomfort that I maybe can't necessarily place, but I carry with me. Right. And I'm thinking so much about the somatic piece of this, like, and really being in tune with your body. And I know there are specific cues, like I'll even talk to you and you'll be like, oh yeah, like I'm really tight here. Like, and you can actually relate that to an emotion or an experience. So I think having that body awareness of how it's impacting you is really important too. Yeah, I agree. And that takes time to cultivate. I definitely wasn't there, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago when I was starting to get into this type of work, I would just feel discomfort in my body and be very disgruntled by that. But now I can feel discomfort and be able to um, not label it as something bad, but welcome it and try to explore it so that it can pass. Yeah. And it leads me to think, I mean, the topic is things people do to avoid feeling. And I wonder how many people actually know that they're avoiding right? Rather than just like powering through and suppressing those feelings or just kind of being unaware of them. It sounds like early on in your life, you were in a place where you were kind of unaware. You were like, oh, okay, let's just on to the next. But really, I think the point is that when we really try, we can think of genius ways to avoid facing difficult emotions. So that's some of what I really want to get into today so that listeners can say, oh my gosh, what maybe that's me, or maybe I have some of these tendencies toward these specific avoidance behaviors that are really socially acceptable and actually even rewarded in our culture. But just taking a second look at them is really important. Yes, 100%. And I like the piece where you say they're socially acceptable. So we're doing them, we're getting praised for them, but ultimately the we're using them as a way to avoid. Yeah. I think one of the most popular is probably workaholism in our culture. Very socially rewarded. So what is workaholism? I think just working excessively hard for long hours beyond what's reasonable or even expected in spite of personal consequences. Yeah. I think you're right because as a society, we value progress. It's we want to see those tangible results of our labor. And I've heard this phrase over and over, like the no rest for the weary is kind of like motivating us to be in this constant state of striving. Mm -hmm. And then we hear that positive feedback of like, oh, you're such a hard worker. Oh, you're always so busy. You're always doing something. And that really signals that this behavior is desirable. This act of always doing, always working um, is something that you want to be doing, like you should be doing. But ultimately, we end up being programmed to seek without end. And if we're constantly in a state of seeking, then we see rest as failure, right? Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think rest is really hard for people who are achievement oriented and that those people are also really prone to workaholism. 
And the truth is a constant state of striving is unsustainable. And that it really just perpetuates discomfort and sadness and anxiety. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And then feeling that way ultimately affects our relationships. It affects our self-esteem because we're tying our self-worth to what we are producing. And then that increases anxiety and promotes the cyclical behavior of working more because we have this skewed concept of if I continue to keep reaching for this goal, then maybe I'll feel better about myself. Yeah. But then we get to that place and they're like, oh, it's not good enough. Let's go to another, <laughs> let's keep going. Right. Yes. It's like a never ending chase, really. I'm glad you pointed out just that it can be really cyclical. And I think this goes hand in hand with the overscheduling too. That's another socially acceptable way we avoid feeling because when you're so busy and busy equates to doing and productivity, it's kind of the same idea as workaholism and just not allowing yourself to have that downtime. And I can really relate myself to this one because for those of you familiar with the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram three, so they're considered the overachievers. And so I, at times, especially when I'm in a more stressed place, I definitely have tendencies to overschedule or overwork or just kind of dive into those areas. And the major question that I have to ask myself and that they encourage Enneagram threes to ask themselves is, who are you without the doing? Mm, so good. So good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's hard. I've even post, posed this question to some of my clients who are overachievers and doers and workaholics, and they just kind of sit there for a little bit. And it's really challenging to get down to that and to connect with that. So that's when, I mean, I have to really be mindful of myself because I know that when I tend to overschedule and get in this my cue to myself is like when someone asks me to do something or I know they're going to ask me to do something, I'm like dreading it. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm in that stressed place. I need to reconnect and I need to take some things off my plate. I need to prioritize rest. Um, but it is, it's definitely like this cycle that you just can cycle through if you're not super aware. So, but yeah, I think those two are very um, positively reinforced in our culture and families, right? We talk about culture and family in the beginning. And I think family plays a role too of like, wow, like you're doing so well, or, you know, you're such a hard worker. Some of those messages can get in there too. Oh, definitely. And I think that brings us into the idea of people pleasing, right? When we focus on prioritizing others' emotions over our own happiness. Yeah. And when you do that, you're just really not in tune with your own wants and needs or even your individualized self separate from others and your own experiences. Exactly. And then you kind of develop this trouble of saying no, because there's this underlying fear of possible rejection. Like what would it mean if you said no, and then you disappointed somebody else? Very true. Yeah. And, and it is socially acceptable, right? People pleasing. It's like, oh, I'm making this person really happy. And then they're giving me this positive reinforcement from them. I'm getting that from them and that feels good. So you just continue to do that. And at the detriment of ignoring your own emotions, just prioritizing someone else and the positive reinforcement that feels good from them. And when you do that, what you're honestly doing is risking becoming further and further disconnected from yourself and your own experience by just 
it's almost, I mean, yeah, I would say it's avoidance, right? Like, let me just focus on this other person. So I don't have to look at myself in these hard emotions that I'm experiencing. I see a lot of mothers do this and I, and parents in general, I think I just happen to have more kind of burnt out mothers in my office than fathers, but saying, you know, I'm going to ignore all of the things that are big pain points for me and make me really sad or disconnected and just focus all my energy on my children. And that will make me a good mother. And and they become further and further disconnected from themselves often in doing that. And ultimately, I think the natural joy that could come from serving somebody else starts to, uh, you know, reduce because you're running on empty. Yeah, that's never a good feeling either. And I think that's the theme is most of these things that are socially acceptable, things that people do to avoid feeling, they just kind of leave us feeling worse often. You're not really getting to the root of processing anything. It's often a distraction or something else that is replacing that opportunity. Yeah, which I think brings us to our next acceptable strategy um, of powering through. And I think we've all been there one time or another, right? I think of the phrase like you're doing what you got to do to get through this. Oh, or um, when the going gets tough, the tough gets going, right? Yes. Yeah. That's a good one too. Right. And I mean, I think that does serve us and that can be helpful because it can be motivating of like, okay, don't give up just a little bit further. Yes. To a certain degree that is helpful and that's positive. Um, or like maybe if you had to pull an all nighter in grad school to, (laughs) to get Uh something done and you know, we've all been there at one point or another. But if this becomes something that you're leaning on over and over and over again, it really shows that you're not in tune with your real needs. Yeah, that's a huge point is that, you know, if this is a random occurrence, okay, like maybe that's helpful and productive. But when it becomes your default mode, that's when you know there's a real lack of grace and self-care that's ultimately detrimental long-term. Yeah, it reminds me of this phrase, the endure complex. Yeah. And I think it's, it's really praised and, um, especially in families also see this with moms a lot of like, wow, she does it all. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, how can she, or the, the, that caregiver like work and, and go to all their children's practices and have a clean house and do this and do that. And the other thing, and perhaps that is possible, but the idea of, powering through, oh, she just endures. But guess what? Our body endures that too. Our mind and our emotions are enduring. And I think the concept of enduring means that we do it for like a limited period of time (laughs) Yeah, to get through something really challenging. If we do it for too long, then there are going to be negative consequences. Totally. It's a recipe for burnout. And you know what I've seen in, because we're in COVID and quarantine right now is that those endurers and those people that powered through and overscheduled were forced to slow down and their emotions have really overtaken them and risen to the surface. And it's been a really uncomfortable experience for many who avoided those feelings in those socially acceptable ways. 100%. So next we get into, and I'm just going to group all these together, excessive exercise, excessive partying, and excessive shopping. These are all obviously socially rewarded distractions because it's 
ideal culturally and all over social media to be skinny, social, and trendy. So the focus becomes on feeling better externally versus internally. And you can really lose yourself in these, especially with that influence of social media and just the pressure to keep up and not miss out. Yeah, which I think also ties into the idea of like overeating, right? When we're seeking comfort from food, or we can even be under eating by restricting food, like like we may restrict our feelings um, and try to limit them and control them. And this just adds shame and guilt to the equation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think of the phrase eating your feelings. <laughs> yeah. Literally, you are shoving them down with the food. Like, oh, don't rise to the surface. Just stay down there. Stay away. Another socially acceptable one, denying need for therapy, right? Because of just the cultural stigma of what therapy represents and just a plain straight up denial of needing emotional support or or accepting the idea that you might benefit from it. So when I hear people like, I don't need that, that I'm, you know, I'm not, there's nothing wrong with me. Like I've not, I don't need that. I think about just a discomfort with vulnerability or being just really out of touch with emotional experiences. Because in my opinion, and obviously it's biased as a therapist, I don't know anyone, including myself, that does not benefit from therapy. You don't have to have this big T trauma, anything terribly, terribly wrong. I mean, it's especially beneficial if that's the case. Um, But everyone can benefit from learning how to process, acknowledge, and talk about their feelings with someone trained and literally guiding them and helping them to do so. So it doesn't need to be this myth that your problems aren't bad enough, right? Definitely. So another way that we avoid in a socially acceptable way that I think might be one of the most popular ways is to really turn to TV, Netflix, video games, something electronic that's easily accessible. It lets us zone out, disassociate, um, just put ourselves in a different world for perhaps a couple of hours until you feel a little calmer and you're able to regulate a little more easily. Yeah. This reminds me, I mean, yes, I would agree. This is definitely the most common way. Just turn on the TV, zone out, Netflix, video games. But it really reminds me of our coping skills episode, the five types of coping skills, where we talk about how all of these things are merely distraction methods. And distraction is culturally the most common way of coping. Um, But it's really, it's major limitation it's that you're not moving any of that energy out of your body. There's no emotional release and distraction. So while it might be socially acceptable to turn on the TV instead of really sit with your emotions and feel them um, and just try to escape, it's ultimately not really doing you any favors because that's just kind of like sitting in there, simmering in there, and will probably be magnified the next time you connect with that feeling. Great point. And then the last one that we had is really interesting, and it has to do with dating and serial dating without commitment. And so you're probably like, probably like, well, how is that a way to avoid feeling? But the important point here is just wanting to stay in the honeymoon stage. 
to avoid any inevitable hardships that are going to come with being in a relationship with another person, because it's a way of keeping it really simple and easy. I see this a lot because I work with young adults and even teens who are in the dating world. And it's when going gets tough, they're like, oh, on to the next. Like, I don't want to confront maybe some of my own flaws in this relationship, what I'm bringing to the table, or just have to navigate that with another person. So, and I think dating apps make this especially prevalent Ooh, because- Yes, they do. Right. <laughs> Like Tinder or Hinge or whichever one you might be using, it's like, oh, well, I just found out that I don't like his best friend. So back to the drawing board. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know what? Like with any relationship, there are just going to be some things you need to work through. No person is going to check every single box. And if you expect them to, it really requires like looking at your own expectations and what you might be avoiding or how you might be limiting your relationships in that way. So yeah. Right. I hear this over and over again. And I also heard some people talking about this on the radio the other day, and I really wanted to call in and be like, no, no, don't <laughs> listen to that advice. But um, <laughs> they were talking about how relationships shouldn't be hard. Like this should be easy. It should be fun. If it's too much work, it's a sign that it isn't working. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> oh, man. I was like, no, 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 no. Wait, wait. Uh, <laughs> um, yes, I totally agree that sometimes people can get in relationships that maybe aren't the best for them and it can present in a lot of different ways. And one of the ways it can present is that it's really, really challenging to be in that relationship and perhaps you need to end it. But relationships are hard. And I think we need to normalize that and understand that oftentimes our partners will be able to bring out stuff in us that perhaps we've been trying to suppress and ignore and that that's a good thing. And it gives us this beautiful opportunity to practice being humble and being vulnerable and working through stuff so that we can become a better person within that couple identity. So just a thought that if we're maybe leaning towards serial dating, it may be a sign that perhaps you're avoiding wanting to put in that personal work to be the best partner that you could be for somebody else and the best person for yourself. Exactly. I think of your partner holding up a mirror to you and you being like, oh no, I don't want to look at that. Right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So I, yeah, absolutely. Just tuning into that and making sure that you're not using dating and your patterns in dating as a way of avoiding. Now that we've covered several socially acceptable ways of avoiding difficult emotions, we urge you to think about how they may show up in your life. Consider your own emotional process. And if you haven't yet, we also encourage you to tune into episode two, the five types of coping skills to learn how you can effectively cope and confront hardship that you may be avoiding in healthy ways. Thank you for inviting us into your day. We hope you enjoyed the information shared in this episode. As a reminder, this podcast is not a substitute for therapy. We encourage you to reach out to a licensed mental health professional to support you in continued growth. Be sure to subscribe to be the first to know when new episodes launch, to rate and review us on iTunes, and follow us on Instagram at ABC Therapy and at Your Journey Through.